makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Betty was still, Chante was ten up eight years up yellow. 
Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hand with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here today. And this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And I'm Teokasin Ghost Horse. And I'm from the Cheyenne River Lakota Reservation in South Dakota. And now here in the mountains and beautiful mountains of the Catskills and what is now called the Upper New York State. And this is an all-Native hosted, all-Native produced First Voices Radio now in its 29th year broadcasting. And Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archives. I'd like to ask you to please look forward to an unveiling of AkantuInstitute.org. On September 21st, during the autumn solstice, opening up to harvest time. Again, that's akantuinstitute.org. Let me spell that for you. A-K-N-T-U-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E. Akantuinstitute.org. Well, in this episode of First Voices Radio, we go to North America. Yes, right here. Place called Canada for the so-called country in the province of Alberta and in the city of Calgary. And, uh, quote, to decolonize means to recognize the symbols that empower those entities that have oppressed us as natives, the entities of colonization. A subtle yet not so subtle movement with lasting political implications or one leading to clarity of how to re-indigenize ourselves as native peoples within a continent now called North America. And identifying the entities of colonization within these countries of Canada, the United States, Mexico, Antigua, Barbuda, Bahamas, Barbados, Belize, Costa Rica, Cuba, Dominica, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Grenada, Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, Jamaica, Mexico, Nicaragua, Panama, St. Kitts and Navis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Trinidad and Tobago. Those are countries considered in North America alone. Today, Dr. Linda Manyguns is a Blackfoot woman born on the Tsutsina Nation. And I'm talking about an article and a lot of media coverage in Canada where Linda is from in, in Canada, but she also is a Calgary professor who won't use capital letters unless it's to acknowledge Indigenous peoples. She said that we resist acknowledging the power structures that oppress and join the movement that she's beginning that does not capitalize and the low case movement actually exists. And I know there's a lot of feedback about this, but think about it in this other way rather than from the Western box of convenience and rea- reality that you live in. Dr. Miniguns is also a grandmother to five children. She grew up in Europe an Air Force brat, and in her early years, she worked as a high steel construction worker, a Red Seal chef, and a union leader for COOP, which is Canadian Union of Public Employees. She has four degrees, BA in sociology, MA in sociology from the University of Ottawa, and a PhD in indigenous philosophy from Trenton University. Otherwise, at law school, fellow students nominated Linda for the Kareem Green Spawn Award for Outstanding Achievement, and she's also worked at the Indian Claims Commission in Ottawa, which is equivalent to the Bureau of Indian Affairs here in the U.S. and Washington, D.C. She is a professor for over 10 years and is now the Associate Vice President of Indigenization and Decolonization at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. And now, this is that interview. I'd like to welcome Linda Meniguns to First Voices Radio. Thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. It's just an honor to have you here, really. Oh, well, thank you for the invitation. It's 
great to have an opportunity to talk about these events. And it's about removing capitals and uh, using lowercase. And basically what it means is there were three other scholars that uh, began to do this. And that was Bell Hooks uh, was one of the first. And then E.E. Cummings was the next one. And the last person was Peter Kilchowski. And he still is a professor at um, Manitoba University. And I contacted him to ask him what kind of response he got. And I'm just waiting to hear back because uh, we're getting a lot of interest. Um, the reason I'm using this is I was hired at Mount Royal University uh, to uh, decolonize and indigenize. And to my mind, I believe that to decolonize means to recognize the symbols that empower those uh, entities that have oppressed us. Things like capital C on Canada, all the provinces, the ministers, the entities of colonization. And so it's, it's, a, it's a subtle, but not so subtle movement by actually removing the capitals from, from their titles and establishing the fact that we need to bring recognition to those entities and the things that they've done, especially to Aboriginal people. Uh, here in Canada, I mean, we were literally moved out of the, the protection of Canadian law and put under the Indian Act. And then they put on this benevolent face and said, oh, we have to civilize the Indians. You know, we have to, these savages need some help. And in the meantime, Every single profession in Canada, right from the signing of the British North America Act, was thoroughly involved in that. And what that has done, and then what the government was doing was telling the people, using horrid terms for us, you know. And so that embedded a long-term discrimination that was accepted and acceptable for politicians to talk about us that way. That's created deeply embedded systemic racism by these these systems of power. And so to decolonize means that people have to recognize that the way they think about us has been embedded in their heads for a purpose by these colonizers. And so the first effort, the most important part of decolonize, you can't even begin to indigenize until you understand that you've been colonized. And so I pity all the people that are in Canada that have been brainwashed to think that we're uncivilized. My goodness gracious, all the food they eat comes from our agricultural knowledge. 90, per, well, I wouldn't say 90%. I think the numbers are about 70% of everything that's in the drugstores all come from indigenous knowledge. This world would not even be what it is today without what they got here from the Americas. Linda, many guns is the main focus, you said, with Indigenous peoples. But I do know that other peoples here in the United States and North America and Canada use these these uh, capitals in a way that you described. Uh, but yet they don't understand the reason why you are using it and why we should not be capitalizing many things that seem to have title over us because they are capitalized. That's right. And so... 
if we continue to capitalize, then we keep on recognizing and giving them that authority or power, even though, excuse me, the removal of a capital letter is such a simple thing. It's not really, it really impacts them. And I can tell you right now, when, if you go on my website, it's all in lowercase and people have a hard time reading it because they're not used to seeing everything in lowercase. It's kind of a mind sort of a thing, but it certainly brings awareness to these entities and how much we've kind of taken for granted that we have to accept these symbols of power. And we don't. But we I don't think, yeah, I mean, you're describing something that we're all engaging in and we're mm-hmm. all, I wouldn't say we're all guilty of, we're just not aware of it as native people. Because it's, its uh, I think the, the Latin phrase is fellow de, de, uh, fellow de se, which means crime against oneself. So it, it, in, the mm. travi- in the travesty of, you know, we are committing suicide because we, we lack uh, our culture. So the younger people are committing suicide because we lose culture. And yet these, and you say these very subtle, uh, this, this soft microaggression is in the mm-hmm. language. And, and, and now we, we have to understand that by doing so and, and uh, using the same language that oppresses us is that fellow this to say in Latin, meaning we're committing the crime against ourselves. We don't know that. And, and that's exactly, that's a really good point, actually. And basically what that is, is what we call neocolonialism. And the neocolonial, for a colonizer to be successful, the, the, the perfect scenario for them is when they can get the colonized people to impose their laws on their own people. And that's what the Indian acts or, you know, down in the States, you've got your own administrative indigenous uh, process there. Any chief and council that's not self-governing is imposing the government's laws on their own people. Hmm. We have to become aware of how we're taking part in, uh, I'm not proposing, I said uh, mostly projecting into the future those same situations. So the only way that we can stop it is to say, we have to understand who we are. We have our own way of communicating. We have our own cultures. We have our own histories. We have our own. It's been removed from the history books so that the government in their mandate couldn't be invalidated by any materials. So we have to actually rewrite the entire history of the North Americas completely. Uh, I know I've got the battle plans from 1812 and all around Niagara Falls and in around uh, Toronto, the Toronto area and those lakes and stuff. Aboriginal people, the battalions, I have them, they're clearly marked Indians. The battalions were at the very, very front. And I can tell you, Canada would not even be here if it wasn't for us. So, I mean... We have to put these things into the history books and we need to put in our history and what we've contributed to present day society. Mm-hmm. Our people were, were pretty well shunted out to surrounding 
communities. We did all, we cleared all the forests. We were the ones that picked all the fruit and all the vegetables until other immigrant populations came in. And then we were forced into sedentary lifestyles, Hmm. you know, but it was our labor. And that, and I've read a lot of material about the United States as well. Our people were the ones that grew huge potato farms all in that, in the Idaho, all that area, until the big ranchers took it all over and forced us off into back to the reserves. But it is that history has to be regained. And we now have the power to do that. And we have enough information to start to be able to restructure our history of Canada. And hopefully we'll do that with the people who are willing to understand and realize that there's there's a, a, the truths have to be brought to light about who we are and the good things that we've contributed to this world too. Mm. That this is you know you're demonstrating what we can do and what is proposing we can do, and then there's a reality uh, that's reality too. But the reality that in this individual Tiokson has experienced is that. I'm up against other Native people who aren't willing to change. So what I'm saying is they will kowtow or actually want to be hired by those people who's can, who can pay them because I won't be paid because I won't say what the oppressor wants me to say, you see. I know. Oh, I know that one. <laughs> and they'll get the one who's dressing in the beads and feathers and they may not even be native. You know, you know where I'm going with this? Because that would seem otherwise if we, we make a, a little stink um, that says, well, we're just we're just we're bothered by everything. But yet you describe in in the practice of your culture every day as we do, we speak this foreign language, um, but they want to make sure that we're put on a shelf. And you described it as eventing. I think it was event. That's right. And we are eventing and everything that we do is about the timing, the place, the things that are there, you know, it's about eventing right now. What we're eventing is probably one of the most profound periods in society, uh, especially for Canadians as they discover all the bodies of the children in all of the residential schools. What that did was that blew open the a, a lack of faith in the history that Canadians have been told in the history books. And as a result of that, there's this trauma even in the non-Aboriginal people because they thought that they were being the benevolent saviors of Indians, you know, and instead they found out there's all these dead bodies. And, you know, and I state it's not just the residential schools where this was happening. I've done research with legal counsel on my own, my mother's reserve at Sutina. They were down to 69 people, for goodness sakes, in the 1929s. That's when The Last of the Mohicans was written. That's when they quit writing treaties here in Canada. And all of the academics and the government and everybody thought we were going to die out. Hmm. So they just quit bothering with the political nonsense because they figured whoever was left would just get, you know, folded into Canadian society. But we survived. We survived. And that's a miracle in my mind. 
but it's also puts a lot of responsibility on those of us that don't want to just kowtow like you were talking about. There is a responsibility to maintain our culture, and I truly believe we have a role in the future. I believe that we are the ones that know how to live with our environment, not to destroy it, but to live and respect it. And right now, this world is in crisis because of the greed and the on on <laughs> the unfettered uh, a resource extraction around the world is is totally destroying things. And I think that there's a large enough uh, movement around the world that wants to be more respectful. And that's the gift that we give people is how to be respectful. That's quite profound. You know, I'm thinking about, you said something about the trauma that they're having. And, you know, a lot of like my mother and I was through boarding school, but but the experience, the trauma of numbness that you can't do anything about it. And when you mentioned the non-Aboriginal, the non-Native, they don't know what to do. They're, they, yeah. they're in shock about their own people. There's no language to describe. And they want to just like erase uh, anything. And yet they, they have to live with it somehow. But in, in the end, Linda, you said that maybe they won't know how to live because they lost their relationship with the earth. And that's where native people come in. It seems like we're always helping. I, I, I kind of think there's a, that says that our flaw that we always want to help anyway. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, that's what we did when they were in pretty sad shape when they landed their boats for goodness sakes. I mean, Thanksgiving is a, is still a, a commemoration in their minds that they would never have survived. They could never have survived and had any of the knowledge for healing. I mean, over in Europe, for God's sakes, they were still trying to turn everything into gold. They didn't care about health care. <laughs> it wasn't until uh, the Aboriginal doctors and our medicines and whatnot that would finally get integrated into the healthcare system that currently exists. I mean, penicillin wouldn't even be there without the old guy that told him about the fungus Mm -hmm. and stuff. And he had acknowledged him. He at least had the decency to acknowledge that. But I mean, all aspirin, all the medicines. Can you imagine a world without chocolate, for goodness sakes? Can you imagine Italy without tomatoes? Can you imagine the Irish without potatoes? All of that stuff came from us. And you know what? When Christopher Columbus got here, the reason he thought he was in India was because we had such finely, finely woven, beautiful cottons that he thought it was silk. And we were over, we met him anyway, over in Ireland 16 years before he even got on the boat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the big yeah. deal about what they're, they've been doing? They've, they've covered over history with their own story. Hmm. And we need to break that apart and put the truth in there. We're talking with Linda Miniguns from Mount Royal University, um, an associate vice president of indigenization and colonization at that university, a professor in Calgary. I think about what's next. We could you start this movement and slowly but surely maybe the next generation will be able to understand what we've been trying to say all along and even in this generation of, you know, we're educated and we we do these things according to the system, but really have we disempowered ourselves by using, and we mentioned it before, 
disempowered ourselves with using that domination language. And, and I know, uh, Linda, a lot of indigenous nations around in the Western Hemisphere don't have the concept or the I, uh, word for domination because that language has to be in relationship with the, the, the environment, the nature and other human beings, where it's just a, a non-anthropocentric view of everything. And, and I do know, I think that's what we also do. We oppress ourselves with that oppressing language, but we're oppressing nature with the very same things. Um, you see where I'm going yeah. with that? Oh, yeah, I do. And, you know, that's that's the complexity of what we're dealing with. I mean, we've got uh, people that, you know, are also very confused as well because they that history was the same history that we were taught was the same history that was taught off the reserves. So we're just as deficit of, of the truth as, as a good majority of the general population. So my mandate is instead of just the few elites that managed to make it into a native studies course, hmm. working with the library and with the, my new website that's come up, I want that information accessible to all people so they can decolonize themselves and educate themselves about what this true history is. So I am I have a postering campaign that I'm going to be launching next month. And uh, it's going to say things like, if you think Indians get everything for free, then you have a colonized mind. Decolonize yourself and go to my website. So I have four messages every semester, and those are rotated around the campus and other entities uh, in the communities around us are now wanting to join that because they don't have access to that information. We, it's going to be our job to tell what the truth is. It's our job because we know that history, right? And you know what? They always try to do rotten things to us. Well, mm -hmm. it always backfires every single time. You know what? They stuck us way up in the North and very far away from civilization and what happened was as soon as they got out of the residential school because they went and licensed all the hunting and all that stuff so we couldn't even hunt and do all the things that we were supposed to do you know what they did they sat and they told the stories they told the stories about where we lived what we hunted where our territories were who went and talked to the government who did treaties and all the stuff and so we retained using our oral history we retained all that knowledge. And so guess what? When I worked at the Land Claims Commission in Ottawa, a little group of people would come from some far reserve up north, little group, maybe a mom and a dad and some kids there too. And they'd say, my great, 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 great grandfather negotiated this uh, sugar bush here. And he told my great, great, great uncle, he came in 1910 and my great, great, and you know what? all in their heads, right? Because we don't have filing cabinets. And you know what? We could go to those ministers' offices and we could find they were right on the money. We're winning court cases now. This is so good to hear. It's like you're talking medicine when you talk about these people, the common people, so, so to speak. Having and retaining story using the, the most effective computer, filing cabinet, library, as you say, <laughs> and how, how other people react to those simple peoples coming from the bush or from, you know, the, 
the remote parts of North America, South America, even because we can also include them as far part of the indigenous mm, backbone. The, the vagus nerve oh, yes. of, of all of us is that we are indigenous to where we come from. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. No, ma- no matter how much is done to us, we still know how to be resilient. So I'm going to go as far as this, Linda, is in my language, there's no word for at odds against. You know, mm-hmm. that's we can't be at odds against because so, then we're saying that's the domination. That's the authority. So it's more empowering to be who we are and just stay with that and th- they can do what they want. I think that's what your your campaign of small lowercase letters is is can change that we don't have to be dominated anymore and neither should our thinking and our language will come back and flourish I think, you know. Oh, there's no doubt about it. It's not just our language that will come back. Our language encapsulates the way we think about the world and see it see it. Um I, I tr- I've tried to learn my language. I never heard it till I was an adult because I was I didn't grow up in this territory. But uh, for me, it's the most precious most precious piece of of our our world that needs to um, grow. But the other part too is that when we look at all the old stories, they usually come in times of strife. They do ceremony or something like that. They come to help and you know what we haven't we haven't lost the power of dreaming we haven't lost that power we still have that ability to walk in two worlds in many worlds actually and that's our gift and that's what's going to be really needed in the future so yeah we have to believe in our in in who we are and the long journey we've been on and so many, many young people often look to radio stations and this oral context, this verbal context of listening and engaging and helping them to think. And so now we have, as you say, we have native people walking in two worlds, but yet we still can be who we are walking in that other world. And, and I often think about uh, an uncle of mine who said that, oh, I'm, I'm one, in this case, I'm one Lakota living in one world. So, you know, even that we can swallow that box of Western colonization up with our language, with our relationship with the earth, because indeed that's where it's coming to anyway. So I think, could you maybe leave a statement if, if, if you could, you know, put this in context of the younger people, the next generation coming to life or to raising to consciousness, what they can do with this campaign of lowercase letters that you have begun? I would say the most important thing that they can do is just as our elders always did. And whether you have to go through these educational systems or, or the different various parts of this world that we're living in, always be true to yourself. Always listen to your heart. If something seems interesting, but it doesn't kind of fit the pattern of, of their way of life, don't worry about it. Follow that path because we are going to be different as academics. Our worlds are going to be different in the future. And the way that we are going to use education will be extremely different. So follow your heart. That's so good. It's just an honor to talk to you for this short time. And maybe we can do this again just to <laughs> keep people up with. I have a, a card here. 
and I wanted to show you that if you could see this, my name. So this is uh, been in lowercase mm-hmm. letters all along, right? Oh, for, for, 30, for 30 years, I've, I've used lowercase letters. So I think oh. it, it, and people pay attention to it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what you're bringing is that there's a different way to do things. We just don't have to do things the same way that we're told. It's about equality. Well, thank you, Linda. Many guns. It's thank just you. an honor to have you on First Voices Radio. And it's good. Thank you for your voice and your medicine you bring. And we'll be keeping up with you. Thank you. Okay, okay watching. Bye. And that was Dr. Linda Meniguns of the Blackfoot Confederacy, I would say, in Canada and the United States. And she talked about the lowercase of the letters, <clears throat> excuse me, and the capitalizing. And the capitalizing that we're talking about really is this multidimensional struggle for equality. And uh, we've been doing that ever since 1492 in to strive for historical, cultural recognition and acknowledgement of colonial oppression. Against that, persistently devaluing the diversity of our own native cultural heritage. These people who have been educated in the Western way also bring it to you in a way that you can understand. Other ways which are not so new to you or to us is that the domination gets in the way and, and one thought process dominates the other or tries to or thinks they have. Because really maybe deep, deeply underneath those who dominate and think that they need to be in control are the ones who are actually inferior. So that was Dr. Linda Meniguns. And you can Google her, Dr. Linda Meniguns, and you'll find the current information on her. And this is First Voices Radio.
That's the piano version, and that's Wild Dorado, just released this past few months. My name is Tioca Sun Ghost Taurus, and you're listening to First Voices Radio. And in this segment here, we're going to be talking to, not talking to, but we're listening to Chief Oren Lyons, the faith keeper of the Wolf Clan, Onondaga Nation of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And this section is called, It's Time to Get Ready, The Storm is Coming, and about the ignored warnings Native people have been giving you, the Westerner, and if you are able to listen to this, think of it as a privilege and how we are going to go to this time of 200 years ago, this 200-year-old prophecy, the things happening now. Again, he spends his words about, he sends his words about spending time with uh, Lakota when he was a young person, and uh, that, in his words, it'll get worse before it gets better, so get ready. And this is Chief Orin Lyons. Some years back, we were sitting, elders, sitting at a campfire in uh, Lakota country. Leaders were sitting there. Fool's Crow, Matthew King, kills enemy. I can go on. I was a youngster then, younger. All those leaders. Worried about you, worried about the seventh generation. And Louis Badwoon, I don't know if anybody here remembers Louis, but if you've ever met him, you'll never forget him. Louis says, God damn it, he says, what the hell are we just hanging around here for? We should be doing something about this. He says, Look at us. He says, Look at the power we have. Put our medicine together, he says, and bring the rain and flood them out. He says, put our medicine together. He says, bring the fire. He says, burn them. Bring the wind. Our grandfathers. We can do it. The leaders sit there quiet. They said, geez, Louis, we better think about that one. Well, he says, God damn it. They'll never listen until they have to suffer. Well, we didn't do that. We didn't have to. Our brother brought it himself. It's here now. The fire he's talking about is here. It's burning right now. The wind he's talking about is just beginning. The water, you want more, you're going to get it. And those that need it won't get it. No, these are the prophecies. These are what we heard. These are what we know. We've been told again and again. 
200 years we've been listening to the prophecies. And the first thing you understand is, uh oh, they're here. Oh, that happened already, that happened. So we are living in a time, like my grandson said, what's going to happen to me? Well, that's our job. Our job is to change people's minds. People have to change. Directions have to change. Values have to change. Otherwise, there's no mercy in nature. None. No mercy. Nature has none. Has only law, only rule. You don't abide the rule, you suffer the result. And it's just no habeas corpus here. It's what you do, how you live. Peacemaker said to the chiefs at the time, he said, build your nation on these principles, the first principle of peace. Peace. And with peace is health. Second principle is justice. You leaders, be fair to your people. And with that will come justice. Third one, power. The power of being united. The power of the good mind. Power of one mind. Power. I see the Hopis bring rain, putting their minds together. That's what you're talking about. Never seen a Catholic priest bring rain yet. And I think I can safely say you never will. But we do. We bring rain. We give thanks. We work with the animals. For everybody. You're either going to change your values or you're not going to survive. I tell you, the earth has no mercy. You abide that law or suffer the consequence. Business as usual is over. We are not going to have the luxury of spending $200 billion in a war. You're just not going to have the time or the money because you're going to be paying for environment and damages coming. I said, I'll help you. I'll be right there. And that's our elders' position. When they ask for help, we better be there. Because this is it, the way I see it. The other instruction a peacemaker said was, never take hope from the people. Give the people hope. And what is hope? It's leadership. It's principle. And that means the leader's got to be out there. Fight is on. Big fight now. A lot of people in the world, really, more than you know, just waiting waiting and the country that's got to change is right here this country number one but when they find out and when they do change you know they're going to be happy you know we'll all be just bound to that happy little village somewhere it can happen but we're going to go through some stuff there's no escaping that we're going to go through some stuff so just get ready for it get ready for it Orrin Lyons, who's a member of the Onondaga, and it says Seneca Nations of the Iroquois Confederacy as you know it, but the Haudenosaunee 
and he's an activist, indigenous, 91 years old, environmental justice, and he works with communities across the globe. Met him a few years ago in Bern, Switzerland, and we had a great time. We talked, we joked, we got serious, and he and his son actually told us, told me about the faith keeping that goes on and the history and the traditions of the turtle clan of the Onondaga people that he comes from. And today's just addressing what we won't be hearing. He said this, I believe, a few years ago and talks about the storm that's coming, that's here. And it's not rhetorical. It's not nothing not to pay attention to. It is something because now we're in it. Now what? You know, do we answer it with the same cliche language that we're used to answering? Do we make our decisions through the bank? Instead of through earth, do we plan the earth? Do we not feel the earth or do we plan the earth and adjust our needs to her needs? It's up to you, really, I think about this. So this is First Voices Radio. My name is Teoks and Ghost Horse, and um, I'm with you and um, listening to music today. And uh, thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio.
Again, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Tours. First Voices Indigenous Radio.org. You can find the archives and please, September 21st is Akantu Institute.org's primary release, initial release, the release to find out more about what's going on in Indigenous country and thinking processes. I look forward to that and join us and be well. Oshimalaye Oyate Oniwajituelo.
stars with my morning eyes like a bear in the forest like the heat in the calm shirts I take a walk through the tree line getting on with father time when the world Soldier on a dead mind Listen, lover, won't you call me? Well, I'm a sucker for some harmony 